If you could take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, as we continue to work our way through this gospel, we are going to have three different sermons on the crucifixion of Christ. So this is the first of three that will be coming from Luke, where we'll be examining in depth this pinnacle event in salvation history. Pick up with me at Luke 23, verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide our hearts in this. Father God, you are a faithful father. As we come to this text this morning, we are in awe. Lord, we as sinners... We earned, Lord, we deserve your wrath. Lord, left to ourselves every day, we will live for self. We will choose that which is good for us above that which is good for any other. If left to ourselves, we will wholly give ourselves over to to our wants, our flesh, our lusts, our pride, our apathy, our idolatry, our anger. You are a holy God. You are a just judge. And as a just judge, Lord, you must punish sin. But Father, how wondrous this is that we come here today to understand that though we deserve your wrath, though we deserve your punishment, though we deserve separation from the goodness of your mercies, you gave your Son Jesus in the sinner's place so that sinners like us could know grace and mercy and forgiveness. Lead us now again, Father God, as your people to a place of wonder, a place of worship as we consider the cross our Savior bore in our place. In your name we pray, amen. You know, we have a a creator God who is above and beyond time. Indeed, time is a construct of this creation put in place by him. God does not experience a succession of moments the way we do as his creatures. 
And thus, in his own words, we have a God who knows the end from the beginning. He is, in fact, directing all of human history to his own desired ends. And because he knows the beginning and the end and everything in between, and because he sovereignly controls and directs everything that happens, he can choose to reveal the future to prepare his people for his works and to be glorified in the fulfillment of his promises. All the way back on that day that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, as God was pronouncing his curse upon them for breaking his divine law, he promised that a savior would come from the woman. That the serpent would bruise his heel, but that the savior would bruise or crush the serpent's head. And so from that point, from Genesis 3 onward, we are taught to anticipate the coming of that righteous one who would accomplish this work. So much in the Old Testament points to that, prophesies about that. And in our text this morning, we see the fulfillment of it. All of Scripture points us to the person of Christ. And in this passage this morning, we see that our Savior is lifted up before men. We see him bruised, bearing the wrath of God in our place. But with his death, the head of the serpent will be crushed. With his death, redemption will be accomplished just as God foretold. And brothers and sisters, that is our joy. That is our joy. Let's go ahead and begin to walk through our passage this morning. My first point being this. We see first that Jesus was numbered with transgressors. Jesus was numbered with transgressors. We see there in verse 32 that two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And they came to the place that is called the skull, and there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. You know, Isaiah 53, 12 is the verse in the Old Testament that gives us the prophecy that is fulfilled here concerning Christ. Isaiah 53, 12 says, He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. As I noted a few weeks ago, it was common for Romans to punish capital crimes during festival weeks because it created the opportunity to remind all the Israelites traveling into Jerusalem that Roman authority was not to be trifled with. Jesus and these two men would have been led outside the northern gate of Jerusalem to a, to a hill near the northern wall that was along a busy road into the city. Luke tells us that this place was named Golgotha, or the skull, which likely either meant one of two things, that the hill geographically resembled a skull, or that over a period of many years, it had been morbidly renamed this because it was used almost exclusively for Roman executions. Though this name doesn't appear in Scripture, we also call it Calvary. We sing that in many of our hymns and songs. And that word Calvary comes from the Latin word for skull, which is Calva. Well, after arriving at the place of exec execution, Jesus, who was already greatly weakened... They would have thrown the crossbeam down on the ground, and then they would have thrown Jesus down upon that crossbeam. And then soldiers would have held out his arms, and they would have driven nails through his wrists at the end of each beam. 
The nail wouldn't have been in the middle of the hand because the mere weight of a human being can rip the nail out from between the fingers. So they would drive the nail here into all those tiny bones in the wrist. Once those nails were in place, they would have hoisted that beam up on the crossbeam with Jesus only being held by the nails. And once that was in place, they would have driven another long nail through both of his ankles. And there he would writhe in pain, having to push up on the nail in his ankles, having to pull up on the nails in his hands just to get a breath. It was a torture designed by Rome to cause horrific suffering, with the victims either eventually dying of either suffocation or congestive heart failure. And I want us to pause here just for a moment to understand this, to see this with our sanctified imagination, if you will. Imagine our Savior gasping for every breath, pulling and pushing up on the nails with the splinters from the beam grinding into the already ripped apart flesh of his back, experiencing an unimaginable pain. But you know what? His physical sufferings weren't the worst. Consider his spiritual suffering. The wrath of God was being poured out on him. All of the divine wrath for a lifetime of our anger, our covetousness, our lying, our lust, our selfishness, our pride, our apathy, our adultery, our unbelief. All of it was imputed to him. The suffering that we in our finiteness would have to endure for eternity was poured out with divine intensity upon the God-man, Jesus Christ, who bore it all in a matter of hours. This was his physical suffering and his divine suffering as he was crucified between two thieves. But it's not only what Jesus was bearing personally. There were other things that he suffered there that day. There were other transgressors besides the two men that were nailed to him on the crosses at each side. First, there was the soldiers. You know, it was the soldier's job to, make, to watch and make sure that no one interfered with the crucifixion, to make sure that no friend or family member tried to rescue them or tried to put them to death by quicker means. At the end of verse 34, we also see it was the Roman practice that whatever clothes were possessed by the condemned person belonged to the quaternion that executed him, that carried out the crucifixion. And so those four soldiers that had walked Jesus through the streets of Jerusalem to get him to Golgotha, these men now gambled at the foot of the cross for his clothing. These were hardened men who had likely conducted hundreds of crucifixions. They were true executioners. And verses 36 and 37 tell us that these soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. The sour wine was like a vinegar that was mixed with myrrh, and the taste of it was terrible, only adding to the victim's sense of thirst. It only made them more thirsty. But the mixture was also known to have narcotic properties, lessening the pain of the victim to keep them from writhing so violently. 
The other Gospels tell us that Jesus refused to drink this mixture because he meant to maintain every one of his faculties as he made atonement for our sin. And this too was a fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm 69, 21, they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. We see in verse 37 that the soldiers joined in mocking him, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. It was a common practice for there to be a sign above the head of the crucified person stating their crime. And thanks to Pilate, the sign above Jesus testified accurately to his identity. Verse 38 says there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. And if we turn to the parallel passage in John's gospel, it tells us even more. It says there in John 19, beginning at verse 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And many of the Jews read the inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So the soldiers were mocking him for being a crucified king, and the great irony they were right. Jesus was indeed the king. The king of kings. The king of creation. The king of glory. The savior king. And he was mocked for it. But not only the soldiers were mocking him, so were the religious leaders. Verse 35 tells us that among all the people standing by and watching, the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The religious leaders were at the foot of the cross taunting Jesus. And their presence there says a lot about the state of their hearts. Under normal circumstances, under normal circumstances, they would have been vociferously opposed and angry with Pilate for crucifying Jews during the Passover. Furthermore, because of their hatred for Rome, they would have even been sympathetic towards those who were condemned to die for insurrection. But on this occasion, on this occasion, the religious leaders were glad to watch a Roman, a Roman crucifixion. These men knew Jesus had done many miracles. That was, not, that was not even contestable. Jesus had saved and released the demon-possessed. He had fed thousands. He had even raised the dead. But rather than being struck with awe at the wonders of his works, these men twisted the wonder of those events into a means to mock and to deride Jesus. And if you stop and think about it for a moment, their taunts sound just like Satan back in Luke 4 when he was tempting Jesus. Remember that Satan said over and over again, if you are the son of God, then do this. These professed men of God, these guardians of the Holy Scriptures, these men who believed that they were the chosen stewards of God's people, they were nothing but proxies of Satan, scoffing and daring the Son of God to turn away from his redemptive mission and come down from the cross. And once again, we see a fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm 22, verse 16 for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Verse 
Now, could Jesus have come down from the cross? He certainly possessed the ability to do so if he wanted, but he would never dishonor the Father or forsake his people. He was committed steadfastly to accomplishing the plan of redemption set forth by his Father in heaven. Again, as it says in Hebrews 12:2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus suffered physically, he suffered emotionally, he suffered relationally, and he suffered spiritually as our sin bearer. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2.8. And he did this, brothers and sisters, for wicked people who could not save themselves. He did this for you and I. If we really want to stop and weigh this text rightly, then we need to understand we are the transgressors he was numbered with. Us. We are the ones who without his intervention would be given over to self and sin, given over to every pursuit of our wicked hearts. It would all look a little different from person to person, but it would all be the same cosmic treason against the holy God who created us. We are the transgressors. But by His grace, we who have believed in Him have been transformed from those who would mock the cross, from those who would scorn His sacrifice. He has transformed us to those who would now celebrate and rejoice at what His death has accomplished for us. And this is why, ultimately, when we come to study the crucifixion of our Savior, it is to evoke in us a worship, a a thankful adoration, because He is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. If you feel the terrible weight of your sin, if you understand the depth of your depravity, if you weigh what you truly deserve based on who you are at the very core of your being, it is then that you are prepared to rejoice and celebrate and be captured by the awe and wonder that God would die for you so that you could be forgiven. This is one of my favorite quotes from John Piper said, therefore, we can conclude that the centerpiece of worship in heaven for all eternity will be the display of the glory of the grace of God in the slaughtered lamb. Angels and all the redeemed will sing of the suffering of the lamb forever and ever. The suffering of the Son of God will never be forgotten. The greatest suffering that ever was will be at the center of our worship and our wonder forever and ever. This is not an afterthought of God. This is the plan from before the foundation of the world. Everything else is subordinate to this plan. Everything else is put in place for the sake of this plan. The display of the greatness of the glory of the grace of God in the suffering of the beloved is the goal of the creation and the continuing of the universe. Do you remember, brothers and sisters, that even after Jesus was resurrected and appeared among his disciples, his scars from the crucifixion remained on his glorified body in eternity? We all will be glorified. We all will experience a renewal that that we can't even fully comprehend in its glory. Christ alone will bear his scars in eternity. 
as a testimony to what he gave to ransom us for himself, to redeem us out of darkness and into the light. What we have Jesus suffering here is the pinnacle of everything he came to accomplish. In the crucifixion, Jesus served as our substitute. In the crucifixion, he bore the infinite wrath of God for the sins of his people, and he died the death that was the necessary penalty of sin. He completed all of this in perfect obedience to his Father. And so praise him, dear Christian. Never let a moment go by that you do not remember what your Savior has done, that you are not thankful for Him who gave Himself for you to make you His very own. He was numbered with us. He was numbered with transgressors. That's my second point now. To secure the forgiveness of our sins. To secure the forgiveness of our sins. And in my second point, and there's only two this morning, this is where I want to focus on verse 34. And Jesus said from the cross, as he was suffering, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In this statement, brothers and sisters, we, we glimpse the infinite grace and mercy of our Savior. Even in his severely weakened state, his heart of compassion beat with divine fervor. How amazing that even with the stripes on his back and the nails in his hands and feet, even as he is being jeered at by mocking, spiteful people, he still interceded with the Father for their forgiveness. The ferocious fire of their hatred could not stop the tsunami of his mercy. So what does Jesus mean here as he intercedes for them? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What, is the, what, is, what does that question mean? What is it that they did not know? Well, in their depravity, they, they could not see, they could not fathom who Jesus truly was. They could not even begin to understand that this tortured man before them was God's own Passover lamb. They could not grasp that this Jesus, whom they hung on this cross, was not merely a prophet. He was not merely a miracle-working rabbi. He was the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the sovereign of the universe. And in their wickedness and their hardness of heart, they could certainly have had no concept that they were doing exactly what God's hand had predestined to take place. Jesus prayed for them because they had no idea of the eternal consequences of their sin. And that raises a question for us. Why did it have to be done this way? I mean, of all the things that God would plan and purpose from eternity past, why did it have to be this? Why did the beautiful, innocent Savior, why did Jesus Christ our Lord have to die such a torturous and horrific death? Couldn't there have been another way? Well, here's the answer to that question. First of all, Sin requires the wrath and judgment of a holy God. You know, if, if we had a judge here in Montgomery, if we had a judge here in Montgomery 
who every single case that came before him, whether it's a robbery, whether it's a, a, a rape, whether it's a murder, whether it's a, 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 a serial killer, whoever it was, if that judge set those criminals free, would you say that was a good judge? No. You would say that's a terrible judge that needs to be removed. God is a good judge. He is a judge that will judge all unrighteousness, all wickedness, all sin. And he has said that our sin, our wickedness, requires our death. Therefore, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God said it in Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Even if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, do you remember what God did at the end of Genesis chapter 3 as he was casting Adam and Eve out of the garden? They deserved to die, to die. But what did God do? God killed the first creatures in creation. He killed animals to make skins of covering for Adam and Eve. They had already made coverings of leaves for themselves. It's not like he was just looking for a way to cover their nakedness. They had already covered their nakedness with leaves. No, there was symbolism in the fact that is where the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament has its origin. God killed the first living things as substitutes for the death that Adam and Eve should have died so that they could be covered. That in itself was a foreshadowing of what Christ was meant to do and would do ultimately. That's why Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. By God's own holy design, sin requires death. Secondly, By suffering and dying on the cross as our substitute sacrifice, Jesus absorbed on himself the wrath of Almighty God that was due to be poured out on us. Again, Deuteronomy 21-23 says that he who is hung on a tree is cursed of God. Galatians 3.13 repeats this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The wrath of God that should have caused our eternal suffering fell on Christ. That is the glory of grace that by God's sovereign purpose could only come through the suffering of his son. Romans 5, 18 and 19. So then as through one transgression, the transgression of Adam, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through, the, through one act of righteousness... There resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. But that takes us to perhaps the third and most important aspect of this. Okay, Sean, we get it. You know, Jesus had to die. But, you know, why why didn't God cause Christ to be born at a time when executions were quick? You know, they, they just, they take him out, they kill him quickly, it's over, it's done. Why? Why have the Savior suffer such a horrific time of torture and death? You see, the magnitude of the suffering 
not only serves to satisfy the eternal justice of God upon the horror of sin, the magnitude of the suffering also serves to magnify the victory of Christ. Sin is so horrible, there had to be a horrible death. And the magnitude of that horrible death also magnifies the victory of Christ. This is why for all eternity, for all eternity, Jesus Christ will be praised as the Lamb who suffered to take away our sin. Revelation 5, 9 through 12 talks about this new song. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's our refrain. We will join with those saints in glory singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To take away our sin. So we go back to our text, brothers and sisters, and we understand that Jesus prayed for the Father to forgive these wretched people because that is his character. That's who he is. He is a compassionate intercessor. He is the perfect mediator. He came to us to be our suffering servant. Even as he writhed in pain, struggling to breathe, even as the Father's wrath for sin was raining down on him, there was no hatred for the people at the foot of the cross that day. Think about that. Even as he was suffering, even as God's wrath was being poured out on him, there was no hatred for those there who were hating him. There was no sense of vengeance. There was just a mingling of pity and mercy as he saw how enslaved these people were. Jesus, even from the cross, saw how these people were enslaved to the world and to their flesh and, for the de- and to the devil. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising their shame. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And brothers and sisters, this is where this brings us. As you think of the incredible love and mercy of a Savior who would seek God's forgiveness for those who hated Him. Do you understand that as you believe in Him, as you have trusted in Him, it is this very same Lord that intercedes for you, that secures your forgiveness, Because even as Christians, we know we fail every day. Even as Christians, we still struggle with our besetting sins. We arrived here today as sinners in need of the grace of our Savior. And do you understand that that same tsunami of his mercy continually washes over us 
Dear child, sometimes you can imagine that God is angry with you. That you have messed up in your spiritual life so badly that he wants nothing to do with you anymore. That you've had to go to him so many times for the same sin, the same way you've blown it. You have good intentions in the moment when you apologize and when you repent, but, but no time passes at all and you're doing it again. And, and you, become, you become so pulled back in your spiritual life that you just somehow imagine God's forgiveness is going to run out. I'm going to exhaust it. He's not going to forgive me. There's going to reach a point where he's not going to forgive me anymore. I want you to understand this. If you belong to Christ, his mercy and his forgiveness to you is inexhaustible. And I don't say that so that you'll keep on sinning and just for thinking, okay, well, I'll get forgiven as many times as I do it. I might as well keep doing it. No, because that's not the heart of a believer. That's the heart of an unbeliever. I share that with you so that you will understand his mercy to you, his forgiveness to you is inexhaustible. And because that mercy and forgiveness to you are inexhaustible, his word to you is go and sin no more. Even when Jesus looked upon the men who pierced him, he prayed for their forgiveness. Do you think he's going to pray any less for yours? His banner over you is love. There's another application here. Are you someone who has a hard time extending forgiveness? Are you someone who has been so badly hurt that you are withholding forgiveness? You feel like the sins that have been committed to you are, are so heinous, so bad, that, that in your judgment at least, this person doesn't deserve your forgiveness. That you're justified in, in putting conditions upon them. I would have you go again to this passage and look and see. Christ sought the forgiveness of his murderers. Can you do any less? Are you in the place of Christ? That you would withhold from another that which Christ has so abundantly given to you. And listen, I, I know there are very bad and hurtful situations. We always need to forgive, but it doesn't mean that our forgiveness means there's no boundaries. Sometimes there needs to be boundaries until there's true repentance. But there must be forgiveness if you're in Christ. We are commanded by our Lord himself, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Christ has led us in this way, brothers and sisters. He has shown us how it is done, even when it is done. Let us follow Christ and walk in the freedom that forgiveness brings. We are set free to that path of righteousness. We are set free from holding grudges and hanging on to past sins because Christ has set us free. Know that you are forgiven and be a vessel of forgiveness to others because Christ has redeemed us by his sacrifice for sin. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you.
struck with awe again. As we see, Lord, here, how our divine Savior, the only man to ever live in human history who did not deserve to die, to consider how this Lord, this Savior, this one Jesus, would die so that we could be set free. So that we could know your tender mercy. So that we could be forgiven our sins. Lord, I pray for any in the sound of my voice here this morning who perhaps don't know this reality personally in a saving way. Lord, there was a time in my life where I would say I believe there was a Jesus who lived historically. I believe there was a Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave. But he was not my Savior. I was still living my life for myself. Father God, help those who may think that way even now to understand that they, if they would know and understand this grace of Jesus, they must repent, they must turn from their sin and believe personally in Jesus. Help them understand this very moment that if they would receive His grace, that if they would truly have the promise of heaven, it only comes by dying to self and living for Jesus, by believing the life Jesus lived, he lived for me. The death Jesus died, he died for me. Jesus rising from the grave, he rose for me. That that is the only way of salvation. Move in their hearts, even at this moment, that they might turn from their sin, believe in the Lord Jesus, and be saved. Work out your will of salvation in us, O oh God to the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.